Welcome to Chillin' in the Room, where each week a group of eight friends from college get together to bring you discussions on a range of different topics. I cannot promise you that this will be the best podcast you've ever listened to, but I can promise you that if you miss Chillin' in the Room with your best friends, this is the podcast for you. This week on our podcast, we talk about our Domino's orders and art that we love. From each of the eight, I want to say thank you for listening. Hi. You know, here it goes. All right, thanks for uh, <laughs> joining us for another episode of Chill in the Room. Um, today on the podcast, we have Blade. How's it going? How's it going? Jake. How's it going? Gosh. How's it going? Jordan is not with us today. Uh, we also have Mark. Hello. Seth. Jordan. How's it going? Covey. And myself, Neil. Um, so uh, to start us off, a funny story of the week. Jake, what is your story? Okay, so this actually just happened to me a couple of hours ago. So today, um, the 26th of March, I went to the gas station to get gas for my vehicle. And as I'm leaving, um, I'm in a pretty chipper mood. It's like three o'clock. I'm feeling pretty good. And as I'm driving away, I like <laughs> round the corner where the pumps are. And I see this white Jeep. It's like a new Jeep. And I'm looking at it and there's just gasoline just spewing out of it. I mean, I'm talking just like pouring out of like the, just like where the nozzle is. And just like this person is clearly just not attending their, the gas pump. Which I believe is always stated on the gas pump thing. So anyways, I drive by and I see that there was a woman talking on the phone in the car. So I stop the car and I do like the classic like roll down the window sign. And then uh, I start talking to her, but her window is not rolled down. Anyways, finally, she rolls down the window and I was like, hey, your, your like pump is like overflowing. But here's the thing. It like was... It was spewing out of her pump for a while, like, and it was just the whole ground was soaked, and I just like could not believe that I was witnessing this. So, anyways, I kind of pull up ahead. She gets out of the car. She's still on the phone. She like shuts it off or whatever. I kid you not. She sealed up that baby and she drove away. And I was like, "There is tons of gasoline on that ground. What if somebody flicked a cigarette on there?" Michael Bay, baby. I'm Anyways, gonna just throw out. I don't know if you should eight. be. I don't know if you should be smoking a cigarette around a gas pump, in general. Well, there's there's a couple of things that they say, at the gas pump, right? If you don't have one of those little screens with Jimmy Fallon laughing in your face, it says, <laughs> one. You have to be there at the gas pump. You must attend the pump. Two, don't use your phone while you're at the pump. I do. My bad. Three, don't, don't smoke. That. You haven't seen the phone? Never seen that. Apparently, the static electricity in your phone can set off a chain reaction that causes your car to explode. I just want to say thank you to Neil with the stats. Well said, Neil. That actually reinforces my just like (laughs) flipping, like don't be on your phone, and then the release. (laughs) It's real. No, I think it's it's dumb though. It's really stupid. The odds of you lighting your car. You're also supposed to touch your car before you touch the gas pump. So, like, get rid of any static electricity. Like, come, come oh, on. So, 
You have to stand on one foot and touch your nose. So these are things you Static electricity is a myth. It doesn't really? exist. Bowen, you need to read a book, pal. <laughs> <laughs> I've read many books. Oh, read a book. <laughs> Fall in love. Read a book. Fall in love. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> Thank you for listening to my funny story. To all the fridges out there as well is the eight. What a story. Um, so <laughs> we have a uh, little peek into the room this week. Uh, we would like to hear everyone's dominoes order. So one thing that was super important about uh, our life at TFC um, is the fact that Tacoa, a very small town, does not have a ton of places to eat. And Domino's has a deal that they still have today, which is two... Uh, medium pizzas for five nine nine each. Um, so there were many, many a night on two C where pizzas would all be ordered and gone and gotten. So I would love to hear what your Domino's order is. Neil, I think we should start with you because you have the most unique order out of us all. Yeah. Well, Let's wait a second. It. I thought we were doing um, pizza orders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's hear it, bread. Let's hear it, bread boy. <laughs> all right Flavored so red. i'm not a fan of red sauce so what i get at domino's uh is i get the pizza with no robust inspired tomato sauce thank uh, you for uh, using their trademark <laughs> sauce yes <laughs> robust. <laughs> it is robust <laughs> and then i i uh, get also a cheddar... inspired by what uh, just money the robust dominoes come on man uh <laughs> they're pulling after get breadsticks just say you get breadsticks I can't no all right i get cheesy bread okay it's not breadsticks they're not in a stick shape uh so i get a pizza with no robust inspired tomato sauce i get cheddar cheese as one of my toppings like in addition to the normal cheese that's on there. And then I also get bacon on there as well. And you follow that up with two cups of ranch, and you're good to go. You so cheesy bacon breadsticks. All right. <laughs> yes. No. Thank you. I don't, I don't, I know that this is an opinion, but there's something <laughs> odd. I know, I know this. I'm, I'm well aware of this. But there's something about when you take away. For some reason, two major parts of a pizza, right? We can agree that One. pizza has three major ingredients. Bread, a sauce, a cheese, and then we'll add like kind of the cherry on top, which is the topping, right? But cheese, sauce, bread, major components. I take away take... one component. Here's the thing. You take away a major component, okay? <laughs> Here's the thing. There are, I would say, two major components of pizza. Bread and sauce. Wait, guys, guys, Listen, I know, I know. Listen, I can count. I know I just said that there are three. I know I just said that then I changed it to two. This is what I'm saying. First, you said it was four, and then you changed it to two and not You said if you take away two major components. What? Pizza has bread. Listen, I know. Listen, if you take away cheese and you just have the sauce on the bread and you've got toppings, for some reason I'm okay with that. For some reason I think that's actually like some kind of weird artisan pizza. I don't know. I don't know. Listen. Okay. You take away sauce 
It's just cheesed bread. Okay. Let me just say this. The fact that there's an option for no sauce means it's still a pizza. The fact that on the Domino's website, there's no option to take away bread. Okay. The bread is a base level you have to have. But if you can take away the cheese, I'll agree with you on the cheese. I think it's weird. But you can take away the cheese and you can take away the sauce, meaning you can take away either of those components and still have a pizza. Neil, would you that Domino's is listen? Hold on. Would you ever live in a house with a foundation and then just drywall? If you don't have any two by fours, it's not a house, my friend. Okay? If you don't have any two by fours, it's not a house. If you just have drywall and a foundation. I mean, that's pretty much what the basement was. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Got you there. (laughs) We all kind of lived down there. You make a fair point. You do need two by fours for a house, but uh, I. You didn't mention siding, so I don't know <laughs> there if your are, house is going to still are, be okay. Guys, three major bread. The pizza, Drywall. Three major pizza. No roof. What about the shingles? Um, <laughs> there are, all right. Real quick, guys. Real quick. Real quick. Real, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. We're talking about pizza. Merriam-Webster, Merriam-Webster's definition of a pizza is a dish of Italian origin consisting of a flat, round base That's of That's a lie. Baked, Listen. Ba- <laughs> shut up. Shut up. Baked... <laughs> With a topping of tomato sauce and cheese, typically with added meat or vegetables. Boom. Very wow. spoken. Look, look at Neil's got his pen in his mouth and his eyes are squinted at okay, his computer. Start, listen, this guy is about to start Googling. Dude, go back to I Italian will solve this. Oxford. Go, all right, all right. Hold on, hold on. Go back to Italian. It brings up an interesting debate inside of language. Real quick, I'm going to throw uh, this out here. Uh, in addition to my Domino's order, uh, before sauce. you guys name yours to continue, you know, this segment of a peek into the room. Uh, Mellow Mushroom, Mighty Meaty with an olive oil base. Fantastic pizza. Just going to throw that out there. I'm going to look up the origins of pizza now while you guys give your Domino's orders. No, real quick, segment. before we transition, before we transition, I want to, I think this should be, we should expand more on Neil's distaste of red sauce. So every year when we go to peak week, and beach week, we make spaghetti. We all sit around the table with with noodles, meat sauce, nice bread, like really hearty red meat sauce. And we, we look around the table and Neil just sits there every year with just a bowl of butter noodles, <laughs> acting like he's one of us. Just <laughs> sitting there living a lie. Butter noodles aren't that bad. <laughs> what are you, a baby? Put some, put some sauce on those noodles, boy. Hey, I, I, part, I, partake, I partake of those noodles because Mark and or Bowen has put hard work into making food. And so I partake. Otherwise, I would absolutely be eating hot dogs, which is all I really <laughs> eat on <laughs> in between. That's yes. it. That's my diet. Hot dogs. That's all we got here. He's hot dogs and noodles, baby. Oh, man. Actually, it was a really weird, like, I know I have, like, missed the last, like, peak week. Maybe even a few. Yikes. But I remember coming outside with a bowl of spaghetti. And there was a weird spaghetti and hot dog, like, you know, Montague and the Capulets. You know what I'm saying? Hot dogs versus spaghetti. Hot dogs for life. Let's just move on. I don't want to talk about hot dogs anymore. I, Let's get back I to pizza. I tried to get you guys to start giving your Domino's order. I just want to throw that out there. Josh, what's your Domino's order? 
I am a man of simple taste, um, and I have not swayed of that since uh, since college. And so I still just get a pizza with light, uh, robust inspired <laughs> robust inspired tomato sauce and pepperoni. That's it. That's all I'll get. You know, can I say, Josh? It drives me nuts when we're like ordering pizza and you order basic ass pepperoni. But I also kind of respect the uh, <laughs> what the hell? How, basic how ass pepperoni. It's just it's 2019. Our <laughs> options are limitless, and you just go with pepperoni. But I kind of respect it. It's it's, it's an American it's classic. Go to. No, but so when I'll go to another restaurant, I won't just order basic ass pepperoni. It's not, it's that I don't trust Domino's to give me okay to eat chicken or bacon that's anywhere remotely like edible. Well, they get it cooked. I've never had any problems. Well, with pizza, I have a lot of problems. I think that, that this this I think this might transition well to something that I have to say. So recently, so just to give you all some some idea of where I'm at. So I live in Wisconsin and the closest Domino's to me is 45 minutes away and uh, I'll drive it. I'll do it on a on a Friday or a Saturday. And when I go, I buy two pizzas because I'm not going to drive there twice for a pizza. And so I'll buy two large three topping pizzas for 14.95 and cuz they have a carry out deal or whatever. So I will buy the chicken pizza. But what I've been buying lately is a hand tossed parmesan garlic sauce. So I'm not getting their robust inspired sauce. I'm actually getting Whoa. their parmesan sauce. So it's a white sauce with spinach, onion and chicken. Let me tell you boys, it is very good. And I get two of them, and I, I actually put one on top of my bunk bed that has no mattress. And I and my whole bedroom smells like pizza box. <laughs> oh, my gosh, my life is so sad. <laughs> I, I, actually, I, actually, tell you, I actually can't trust my housemates because they'll eat my pizza. So I leave it on top of my bed, and it makes my whole bedroom smell like a pizza box. <laughs> but... Here's the thing. I eat that pizza the next day and I don't even heat it up. So, Josh, I've been fine. I've been fine. I don't even, I, nothing happens to me. The pizza I don't eat pizza from the box the next night. Doesn't matter to me. That, oh, it just reminds don't me. Don't give of, me that face, Neil. What's your take on cold pizza, people? I eat it. What's your take on pizza, pizza Neil? I have no Good. problem with cold pizza. I'll eat pizza from a garbage can. <laughs> <laughs> I I remember in, in in 2C just walking into Jake and Cubby's room and just finding like two day old little C's that they're still eating out of the box for breakfast every morning just sitting on that coffee table party <laughs> you go to little C's you eat half a pizza at night you wake up eat half a pizza in the morning it's great you're good five five bucks two meals there's a picture of all of us when uh, Cubby and I lived in the Pizza's just sitting on our laps, and we're just eating pizzas, individual personal pizzas. And I remember this is at the peak of my weight, and there's just ranch. (laughs) There's just ranch sauce just all over the box, and I just poured ranch onto the box. We didn't even use plates. Just animals. There's a reason why I weighed what I weighed. Monster. I hate that guy. I don't know. 
I don't know if you Go. guys experienced this, but on like when our my family will get together and they'll be like, we're gonna order pizza, and they'll order like two larges for like eight of us, and they're always like, we're doing pizza orders, two larges, so like four halves. What do you guys want? Like two larges? Just is that instant it? panic? Can I throw in? I know. Can I throw in like my own medium? Guess I'm That's gonna be a glutton. There, I have a two slices each. Let me pitch something to you guys. A situation I had one time. I had a a certain uh, Papuan Tacoa Falls resident <laughs> who will go unnamed, <laughs> and he stayed with me for a week. Not very close, but uh, we decided to get pizza and went to Little Caesars, and I got three pizzas. One for undisclosed Papuan, one for myself. <laughs> and I think they were all the same. I think they were all pepperoni. And I popped my box open and I started eating it. And he started eating out of his box. Cubby was eating out of his. And then he reached over into my box and took a piece of mine. And I, I don't know if that is wrong to any of you guys, but... <laughs> you never touch another pizza man's left? pizza. What's up? Did he still have pizza left? Yeah, he had tons of it. Which, I don't know if that's no, just like no, no, a no. cultural difference. Like, it's inconce- inconceivable. Inconceivable. This is America. <laughs> Eat your own goddamn pizza. That would actually probably cause me to go into... Uh, I would probably be a little like visibly distraught. <laughs> probably would have to like say something but I also like eat like a dog so I like eat as fast as I can and like I'm ready to like snap at somebody you know they try to touch my food so <laughs> dog life I also have a pizza story so I went over this was like maybe a year and a half ago um, I don't remember what it was exactly but it was like Hannah was going to hang out with uh, like a couple of wives from the these couples we knew. So I was going over to hang out with the dads, and they had like four kids. So there were three adults and four kids. And beforehand, they were like, "Okay, we're gonna be ordering pizza, so like just show up and you know, you can eat some pizza, whatever." And so I show up, and the pizza's like an hour late getting there because Domino's lost her order or whatever. And the order gets here, and they have they order two medium pizzas. For three guys and four kids, and one was a Hawaiian pizza, and the other was like a Veggie Supreme. It was like the two most random pizzas to me that like a bunch of kids would eat. And so, of course, the kids all ate the the Hawaiian pizza, and I was stuck with this gross Supreme Veggie pizza, and we all got like two <laughs> medium slices. And I was like, "This is great, thanks, guys." It's like the most random pizza order. The Hawaiian pizza is the most controversial pizza in existence, other than. Whatever the disgrace that Neil is trying to justify as a pizza. <laughs> well, you can't say that my pizza is more of a disgrace than the Hawaiian pizza. Well, I Absolutely. believe that the I believe the Hawaiian pizza follows uh, Webster's dictionary. Disgusting. Um, okay, well, one's a pizza yeah, and pizza. one's cheesy breadsticks. All right, based on the Webster's dictionary, that means uh, like Alfredo-based pizzas are not pizzas either. Yeah, I agree. <sighs> But when you're real have mad, have you ever been to CC's? CC's Alfredo I, I, pizza is the best I pizza. Love CC's. I'm just gonna like take the next play out, you know, just because right. my if last I, Parmesan Alfredo sauce. 
What am I, I go to? I was going to say, Jake, if you wouldn't have thrown chicken in there, Boehm would have ripped your ass apart. Because I've made that okay. like the exact <laughs> That's that a little bit extreme, I think. <laughs> oh, my no, God. Uh, all right. We, no, hold on. We made like a bit was much. Was it? <laughs> it would have ripped it. <laughs> Ripping on terror. Josh, what were you saying? Boehm, was it the Super Bowl, Boehm and Mark, where we made those pizzas? And you kept giving me so much shit because I just put veggies on there with Alfredo sauce. And it was pretty relentless for a while. And then you ate it and you said it was delicious. I don't think I used the word delicious. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty strong. I, Hold on. That whoa, 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 wait. Oh, I wait. want to speak. Keep talking Are a you lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. He's clearly heated, Fridges. Don't worry. <laughs> We're actually still great friends. We talked on the phone this week. <laughs> Keep going, Bowen. The floor is yours, my friend. Who muted Bowen? Somebody <laughs> muted me. <laughs> it was Jake. He's it wasn't me. Again. It was not me. I don't even know how to do that. I can barely work. He just popped up and said, you've been muted by another participant. <laughs> You're done, so. So, yes, that night, Super Bowl night, we made pizzas. I had a slice of what is called white pizza, and I did not hate it. And this is the word pizza in that statement. I'm sorry. What's that, cheesy bread boy? <laughs> I want uh-huh. my my pizza, I guess, uh, worldview was a little shook that night, still grappling with where to <laughs> Where to put white pizzas? So, Bowen, you said you like CC's, right? I do. It's been a while since I've been there, but what pizzas do you eat at CC's? To be honest, I probably spend half the time eating like macaroni pizza and pepperoni pizza, and then like the last half is just the dessert pizzas. Oh, it's so good. I just want to throw out that everything you just said had the word pizza in it. And macaroni pizza does not have tomato sauce. Get them. The macaroni pizza I do does. <laughs> you know, you know what's funny is I said, I said, hmm, as if I have somehow now just managed to jump on Neil's side. But it's because of the Parmesan comment and the, and the chicken comment. <laughs> also, I love Neil like desperately trying to prove that. He does order pizza. Like every little moment. Notice you said pizza. Wait, hold on. What was that with about the pizza? This is the I mean, but my Domino's pizza is the only one I think that's arguable that's not pizza. Like at Mellow Mushroom, I actually I mean it's a it's an actual base that they have at Mellow Mushroom. I'm ordering something that is on the menu. Um and like CC's. I mean I just eat the Alfredo pizza, but it's so good. Oh, so, I don't know what that word so, was. It was good. So, <laughs> <laughs> said it was gay. That's what I heard Gay. Oh, yeah, I just, I'm <laughs> really bad right there. I meant to say it's really good. Oh, it just, my mouth like, shut <laughs> down. Easily the gayest pizza. To the water. <laughs> Freudian slip. <laughs> really gay. <laughs> it was really gay. Good. It was really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, does anybody have any other comments about pizza before we uh, transition our show into our actual topic? I just, I just want to say that I've been like really intense about what pizza is 
And uh, my definition of pizza would have to include a sauce. So it's for everybody out there who enjoys white sauces. I'm sorry, anybody who's just putting cheese on bread, go to Subway. Get an Italian herb and cheese, okay? <laughs> Throw some veggies on there. Get out of my face. All right, now that we've heard from uh, that, that viewer. Hold on, uh, I second that. Retweet. Uh, so our topic today is a, um, actually contrary to our beginning topic, a very thoughtful, um, topic of the day. Seth, will you tell us what it is? Yeah. So I had this thought, uh, it was kind of came to me as the phrase, uh, of art we love because it's us. And by that, I kind of mean, I don't know. I thought of. I'm playing like a punk band and like a lot of punk music and in music like that and in rap music and in all different kinds of music, you guys are throwing me off of this shot. <laughs> um, there's, it seems like it just gets more and more specified down to even in punk music, naming specific houses and streets and people who you might never have met. And yet, those are the bands we find so relatable. And I guess that's kind of getting at the heart of the question, which is how much do you value seeing yourself in the art that you appreciate? Or I guess the other way of looking at it would be art is a means of bridging people who are dissimilar. Like it's, it's a means to feel like somebody who you'll never be, you know? you'll get to, I don't know, for a brief moment, you get to know what it feels like to be somebody of a different, you know, ethnic background or social background or have different struggles, and that's what draws you to the art. Or is it, man, this is, like, exactly a thought I've had, and I can relate to it so heavily, or is it somewhere in between? Or Not that I really have an answer to that. just wanted to kind of kick it around with you guys. So I have thoughts on this topic and kind of like, I don't know, I, when I read it and I was thinking about that this is what we were going to talk about, I, what was that noise? Um, had thoughts of like, is this, uh, <laughs> is it, am I, you guys hear that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I hear it. Okay. <clears throat> um. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, of like, it, you know, what const like it, we're going to talk about art in like the broad form. Um, like thinking about how I relate to books versus how I relate to music. And I wrote down some stuff. Like, and I, <clears throat> so I'll, I'll read what I wrote. Um, that the author or like artist or musician often writes with objectivity, like their objective experience. But I think it's so interesting because the author will write with objectivity or, or play with objectivity in regards to music, but the reader or listener or the observer of the art in some form will engage in it subjectively. And I don't know if there's like another medium or another way that that is experienced outside of art, like where you can take someone's objectivity and interpret it with subjectivity. If that makes sense. You think that the making of the art is an objective experience and not a subjective one? I think they, I think, and you would know this better than I would, obviously, 
Um, no, I mean that because you like you have published a book and write music. Um, in that you write about your subjective experience, which then makes it would that not make it objective to me to engage with your subjective experience? Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. And I guess the goal is like through engaging in like me talking about the finer details of my life, I'm looking for something like a greater value, like something objective that like everybody could relate to. It kind of makes me think of this that video that I sent about uh, Ian McKellen, McKellen acting with his eyes. That channel, that nerd writer's channel, he has a video about uh, Seinfeld. <clears throat> and he talks about how Seinfeld was, it's like a hack, because they found a way to talk about four Jewish people in New York with microscopic hang-ups and problems and make it universally hilarious to people, which defies all, like, your immediate logic of, like, if I'm going to make a sitcom, I'm going to make the most like generic characters possible with the most universal problems possible so everybody can relate to it but they i don't know they like jumped as far as you could possibly go into like the subjective experience you can just imagine it's jerry seinfeld and larry david just like has this ever happened to you yes this has happened to me we should write an episode about that and then they've come to find out that everybody has had those moments in one way or another but i don't know that might be a deviation from what you were saying. No, I think it's pretty... I don't know. <clears throat> like, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, and I guess I'll kind of reframe it with the, what I wrote next, which was, <clears throat> like, I just rediscovered, and I mentioned this in Something Old, Something New a couple weeks ago, um, Koryoko Gannon's The Hollow, too, in that album, which I think is gorgeous and it's beautiful. Um, and the song Why, parentheses, One More Pill. Um, like, when I listened to it the first time, it was framed in the experience of what I was going through, which was a really hard time for me. And so now when I listen to it, I don't think I can listen to it and interpret it in any other way other than what I have a subjectively experienced in that time which now i think makes it objective like that's the way i relate to it now like that is framing that time of my life and i can't experience that in a new way yeah um which has nothing to do with what you were saying earlier um about seinfeld <laughs> but it was just interesting for me because i'm trying to re-experience that song and and re-listen to it and, like i played in the car on the way to work and it just brings me back to that time instead of having me sit with the time i'm in now yeah it's kind of, I don't know, it's weird. It's like, when you're given a piece of art, it's like three-fourths finished almost. And that last little bit is, you know, when you receive it, the circumstances under which you receive it, and how you, like, fold it into your own story. And now you have a song that you can't listen to and not think about a certain part of your time of your life. I don't know. And it has nothing to do with, when he wrote it or anything like that but that is like objectively what that song means to you and probably always will yeah i don't know the whole topic's just it's so interesting to me because it's taking the subjective and making it objective which i don't know if it ever 
I don't think it, there is like a written rule about that being the intention or that being the kind of the method that this formula of listening to music has to follow, but it just seems to play out that way constantly. Yeah. At least for me. With that, I'm going to bow out. So with that, I'm going to chime in. And if I am not saying things that are uh, actually relevant to this topic because of my lack of understanding of it, just uh, let me know. But um, as far as like uh, reading it and things that uh, you saying are because it's not technically impressive or are that we don't love simply because it's technically impressive um i know there are definitely songs that i relate to um just because they speak to things that i deal with or struggle with or like whatever um and one of those kind of a cheesy song i guess but seven years by lucas graham and i don't know why i um i just like it speaks to the fact of just leaving a legacy and stuff like that and that's something that i so deeply think about all the time or, i don't know, say so deeply but I... okay hold on we got to figure out what that noise is <laughs> what is that it's gone now um Real quick before you go on, Neil, let me just say that I too love that song. Genuinely, I oh, love okay. that song. That was sword. And uh, I think about the same thing. So that's so funny you bring that up. Yeah, it's just one of those that I mean, like I, I would, I'm not gonna say whether or not I'm an incredible judge of like what is technically impressive in music or art in that way, but it's something that I think it just speaks to me on a level of um, leaving a legacy and just that relatability. In that regard, I also this is not in the vein of music, um, and I don't know if I would call this art in any way. But uh, the movie Accepted is a similar thing of just kind of <laughs> breaking against the grain, and it's something that I, especially in that time in my life when that movie came out and I watched it, um, I very. I very much doesn't make sense. I just really resonated with that idea of going against the grain and not being just this uh, conformity to like what culture tells you to do and stuff. I think I still, um, I think if anything, I want to resonate with that still every day because I don't want to be that cog in the machine. Um, and that's kind of what that movie speaks again. So I don't know if those two things uh, fit the topic, but that's why I took this. I guess, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you definitely fall on the side of, I don't know, you hear something and you you either see yourself as you are or as you wish you would be in the movie or in the song. And, I don't know, it pulls at your heartstrings in that way. I guess it's kind of like, I don't know, I'm interested in like that moment when you first take something in, like a new song or a new movie or something, and then you come to the conclusion like that was good what was happening in that time and what were you i don't know there's some kind of like agreement that's happening and you're saying yeah that's the way that my life is that's the way that they told it truthfully and i agree and it was told well and it's good but then i don't know maybe it's just like reading like too much like art theory and stuff like that but it seems like 
there's a huge emphasis on bridging the gap between you and like like very different experiences. Like if you're reading any like modern poetry now, it's all like marginalized people. It's all I don't know, like people who have not had a voice for so long now having a voice and that's doing something for people or and it's doing for people something for people who have not had those experiences at all and i don't know i guess i think we're all kind of people who like would hear a song and be like i see myself in this or i've had these thoughts and i didn't ever have the words for them and this this person found it but i guess i'm starting to try to I don't know, broaden that a little bit more than just being so me-focused in my intake of art and just be like, have the imagination to try to think of what it might be like to be this person who might not be anything like me. I think uh, if I can share a couple thoughts. Yeah. Sorry, Neil, were you going to go? No, you got it. Um, I was just going to say, I think I think you guys, we talked about this last week, maybe, um, where, like, when you find something impacts how you feel about it. Um, so, like, there are movies and songs that I'll watch and listen to where, at the time that I watched or listened to them, it, like, hit me really hard and I connected to really strongly, where now I'll maybe watch and listen to it and I'll think, like, I see why I connected with that so well, but it's just like pretty decent, if that makes sense. Like that movie, I really love at that point. Now, I don't love quite as much because maybe I'm not feeling the same way. Yeah. And I also feel like it's super comforting when you do find something that describes how you're feeling super well. Like if you're feeling pretty alienated, I mean, I think everybody has those periods where you just feel super lonely probably more often than I think we admit. Um, so when you do feel like you have a friend who, I mean, you've never met, they wrote a song that describes exactly how you're feeling. That can be like pretty saving, I think, honestly. Um, so I don't know. Those a couple of thoughts. I have a less serious example of that. <laughs> so uh, as you guys know, I'm a pretty big Star Wars fan. So growing up, I read tons of Star Wars books, and then I went to college, and I studied a bunch of like literature, and then went back and tried to read some of the Star Wars books, and was like, man, these are really poorly written. <laughs> and it was like disappointing, because those books were such a big part of my childhood, and then going back and reading them as an adult, it's like, ooh, this is not good. <laughs> um, one thing that I would... Say to Seth, you talking about trying to expand it outside of just thinking about myself and like trying to f see how art relates to me and how I interpret um, sound and stuff or songs and stuff. Um, is I think a lot in video games I see that. Um, especially there's this game called Gone Home, um, and the basic premise of the game. I don't know. I mean, are just to ask this: Are any of you gonna play a game called Gone Home? Do you know? Have you heard of it? <laughs> All right. I might after the suggestion, but All right. well, don't worry if about you, spoilers. <laughs> if you uh, 
want to play this game. Just uh, spoil. I actually just play. downloaded that, so please don't spoil anything. Did you really download Gone Home? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was just kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't. I thought it was obvious that I was. Joking. <laughs> oh, I just got excited. I don't Dude, know. Neil got so um, excited. I did. did you really? <laughs> <laughs> no. So so there's this game Gone Home, and it's a. Um, I had zero knowledge of really what it was going into it. I just heard a lot about it. Um, and so you walk up to this house. It's essentially like a walking simulator is what it's, uh, I think, categorized as. But uh, you're going through this house, and you are um, the sister of the people that lived in this house. And, like, your parents lived there and stuff. And just going through this game, and you're seeing uh, your family's all gone when you get there. And you're, you're looking at their lives and the stuff they've left behind. And just the story that it tells um, is very compelling to me and very much... Um, something that I had never experienced in that way and it kind of put me in the shoes of someone that I wouldn't have ever viewed in that way through a medium that I really connect with mm-hmm. and so it was it was just a really talking about like connecting in ways with people you wouldn't before I think that's one of the biggest experiences that I've had where I've had my mind broadened from what I, I would absolutely consider a game a form of art um, but it was just really cool. If I can share another video game, so I had two things to bring to the table tonight in terms of, I didn't know if we were supposed to talk about this in like a more theoretical sense or like specific art type or like a art pieces. So I, I had two at a movie and a video game, um, but one of the video games is called Journey, which I was kind of debating on. Really? Yeah. When I started thinking about going uh, home, I started thinking about Journey. Yeah. So it maybe they're similar, but um, do you want to share Journey, Neil, or do you? No, no, no. You absolutely got it, man. So it's pretty simple. Um, essentially, you're kind of like this cloaked figure. I don't know. Uh, you start just kind of in the middle of the desert, and in the distance is uh, just a mountain. I think there's like a, and that kind of the sun is behind it. And the point is to start from the desert and just make your way towards this like temple in the mountains, essentially. Um, And it's not like a hard game. It probably takes like an hour and a half maybe to play. Um, And you make your way through a few different obstacles. And it's, it's like, I don't want to sound dumb. It's like a very beautiful game, the way they designed it. And it's very simple. And you can... It doesn't always happen, but the first time I played it, it did happen where you kind of get matched up with somebody. Like somebody will appear beside you. And it's like an, another actual player. Um, and you can't really speak with each other. But you're just kind of together for a little while. And they may get off and they'll disappear. Or they may... I don't know, go on ahead of you. It's kind of random. But the reason that I think it affected me so much when it did was it was a period where I was feeling pretty depressed, to put it generally. But I would say like very, I don't know, lost feels kind of dramatic, but not. I didn't feel like I was moving towards anything or that there was anything to be moving towards, if that makes sense. It was just kind of slowly getting older (laughs) was about it so 
So all of a sudden, it was like late at night, of course, was probably drinking, uh, sad drinking, which is always the best. And then I'm playing this super beautiful game, and which is struck me because, I mean, I'm sure you guys understand when you're in that when you're in that hole, <clears throat> you kind of stop believing in beauty. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of something that follows me down that hole is a lack of beauty in the world, seeing not seeing the beautiful things. So you have this very beautiful game. You feel like you are outside of yourself because you're like this character. And you also feel like you are moving towards a goal. And it might sound silly to say that like a video game affected me very deeply, but maybe similar to Neil, uh, it really did. And I played the game a few more times and it, I still love it. It's never hit me the same as the first time I played it, but I think that's one that connected with me very, very personally. And uh, I don't know. I think about it a fair amount here and there. And I, I like Neil said, I would definitely consider that game uh, artistic because I think that was the the point behind the guy that developed it. It was supposed to be very artistically driven. So, yeah, I think uh, just to speak to Journey real quick before. Uh, I know Josh, you have some more thoughts, but that game, from my understanding, what I've read is really about the journey of death and like interacting with people through our lives and stuff like that. And when I, one, I, I feel the same way on so many points of what you just, just said. It's like, I don't want to sound like stupid or anything by saying this game is beautiful, but like it really is just a beautiful game. Um, and not just the, the actual art design of it, but even just the way your character moves and like interacts with the world and the, the other characters that pop in and out. Cause they popped in to my game the first time I played as well. Um, it was just such a surreal experience and speaking to like just the situations you play things in. Um, the first time I played that game, I was also playing through the last of us, which is another great game that I would say um, it spoke to me really heavily. And I think that you can make a case that it's art as well. I know it's a, zombie game or whatever but i think you can make cases for that being uh a form of art as well and um so i i was like cutting up my time with the last of us with playing journey in our dorm room and it was just such a stark contrast and a crazy experience to see just the the beauty of this one game in this one way in the last of us and the horrificness of it and just all this craziness but then to switch to the serenity that is Journey. And uh, one of the things I thought was so cool, at the end of that game, um, it goes through and it lists in the credits all the people that popped into your game. Um, mm-hmm. And I just thought that was such a such a really awesome uh, way to commemorate that for you um, from the developers. And uh, it's also that thing, though, of, with art, I've tried to like show some people that game and also say like, Hey, this game is so amazing. Like you have to watch it. Like it hit me in this way. And they have like totally not received it at all. And it's been (laughs) that like, like you feel stupid talking about it and stuff. And like, I'm sorry guys that this did not uh, come across in the way I wanted it to for you. But so it is that thing. I think art hits you in a certain way that doesn't necessarily, I guess the subjectivity of it, um, that it does not have a f- affect other people in the same way necessarily. 
Um, but yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there about Journey 2. Super, super big on that game. Yeah, like I said, I was sort of uh, hesitant to bring it up, but it almost makes me think that if you feel that something is artistic and it hits you in a powerful way, that's sort of uh, unattackable. Like if someone wants to dismiss that, maybe they have no right to do that. Like, get out of here. It's kind of like maybe this will transition into some of Josh's thoughts about objectivity versus subjectivity, but it's almost kind of interesting how art is conceived like by objective means. Like the paints are always the same. The canvas is always the same. Like the materials are always the same. And, but it's esteemed and we judge it and we appraise it subjectively. But then you have with, you know, with criticism and with a bunch of people who are apparently like more important than the rest of us saying this is art and this is not art. This is good and this is not good. They are dictating. I don't know. They're objectively dictating what you could receive subjectively. Like a bunch of people could say that game is shit and it's not art. It's just pixels on a screen. But mm-hmm. it it moved you. Is that not art? I don't know. And maybe Josh would. I don't know if you have anything more to add to that. But no, I mean, I'm just. I'm really kind of still digesting a lot of what everybody's saying, and I'm resonating a lot, especially with the journey references. And um, like to speak to that a little bit. Um, I shared a movie that's really close to me. With that's really important to me with Bowen. Probably about three weeks, four weeks ago now. We talked about it on the podcast before, which was the fountain, and just kind of in the same sense of from what it sounds like you were talking about, Neil, with the journey towards death. That was the same premise for that movie, and just how powerful that was for me. Um, but where I was going to come back to, like this idea of objectivity versus subjectivity, and I don't know why this is having such an impact on me now, and why like I'm really enjoying thinking about it. But just in the different way. I'm just kind of mind blown right now at the way that I can view, and I assume this is a universal experience, um, art in both. I can kind of enter it into enter into it in an objective and a subjective way. Um, like for instance, I'm thinking about there's this punk hardcore band called Kayanashi, um, who has like an African American super heavy set vocalist, um, and I whenever I listen to any of their songs, I don't go into it with a subjective lens. I go into it with an objective lens looking and listening to hear a different perspective. And so me engaging in that in an objective way will change my subjective experience with the world as a result. And so it's not like I relate to it in a subjective way, but I receive the art that's being put out there and it changes my subjective experience post engaging with the art. And that's just kind of, I don't know, it was kind of interesting for me to, to realize that. It kind of, uh, Neil's significant other, Bethany, actually messaged me and Cubby today about uh, listening to, I don't remember what the title of the podcast was exactly, but it was one that was about art that we had done. Art Uh, that moved us. Art that moved us. And I know we talked a lot about honesty in art in that podcast and transparency, and I think I came down pretty hard on... I don't know, art 
just being honest does not make it great necessarily or it just being transparent doesn't make it great but I don't know something like that would suggest that honesty and art uh, I don't know would suggest that you have someone who's singing and screaming about an experience that you've never had Josh but they're singing about it passionately and with clarity and it's moving you not moving you because oh I see myself in that and I felt that and I know exactly what it feels like to be this person but because for that moment they were both honest and clear about it and for a second you you don't really have to imagine what it's like because they're taking you there so I don't know it kind of adds a wrinkle into it for me as someone who like attempts to make anything you specifically so, like, said that is as I go for it no you're just breaking up I couldn't tell if you were done um sorry about that that podcast came into my mind like that episode came into my mind when I read this prompt and it had me and especially after what you just said then Seth does it does it change your answer to the question what you asked us about the inclusion of kind of details of your family's life and your brother specifically mm-hmm. with that objective experience knowing kind of with a shift of not understanding because you've always understood but kind of looking at the idea of honesty in a new way does that shift how you would choose to write I think there's, it does a little bit, but there's limits to it. I guess to use like a very, like, I don't know, possibly a pretentious word, but like a thing that a lot of like writers fear is like solipsism, which is like pretty much just like talking for the sake of talking and like, or airing grievances for the sake of airing grievances, like, Everything should be there on purpose, and it should all be leading the reader or the listener or the watcher to some kind of, like, emotional climax. But if it's just me, like, I don't know, more like my diary, and I'm just getting out, like, all of my angst about my family in hyper-specific detail, and I've kind of lost the reader in that, then I think it's just, I don't know. It's for my own, like, pleasure at that point, and I've kind of gotten selfish with it. And it's not helping anybody anymore. But if those, I think those specific details, like, I don't know. One of my, the poems I've received, like, the most response to is a poem called The Dog. And it talks in pretty specific detail about my dad passing away and how I, like, came in on that scene and you know, how that's reoccurred throughout my life throughout the years in very specific ways on specific highways and specific, like a specific pool at my apartment. But I get messages from people who still have their dads who have never experienced anything like that. And they say, like, I found myself in this or like this came to me at just the right time. And I don't really know what to do with that, I guess, in terms of making anything going forward. But... Yeah, that's interesting because I have the same thoughts with how, how then do you write? And I'm speaking of you specifically because I don't write to be for something for people to read. But like, how do you or how do we then judge 
what is going to touch someone else subjectively. And that's such a, such a gray and difficult space to be in. It can feel pretty arbitrary sometimes. Because I've definitely written things and I thought, this is going to hit, like, everybody. Because this is, like, kind of like that anti-Seinfeld thinking where I'm like, this is universal enough that everybody has felt this. And it falls flat. And then I write a poem like the dog or like a poem like a poem called cold coffee that is weird as hell and it doesn't even seem coherent some of the times and i've gotten like a ton of responses on that too and i don't know i think there's a lot that goes into like how like what bone was saying like how people receive it it has a lot to do with timing and when you hear or read something for the first time and I don't know. It makes it hard to calculate anything as a maker of that stuff. But so I have a question for you, Seth. And it's I mean, just uh, to learn a little bit more about your writing process. So you when you have the poem that you feel like um, is something that's universally accessible to everybody and relatable, and you've got the ones over here that you feel like you get the response to. That are ones that are those more you wrote them solely for self. I mean, I think I always like ever since I started sharing stuff with people, it's always kind of in the back of my mind that if I finish something and I like whatever goes behind like deeming something good or finished, I think about sharing it with people. Mm-hmm. But I do think there are ones where I'm like. I don't know. It's it's resonating deeply for some reason, but it's hard to discern whether that's just for me or yeah. it could be for everybody else too. Do or, you go do you go into anything with the intent of it being like universally relatable? I try not to. I think it's like can get pretty ugly when you do that. Yeah. Well, I was just wondering you saying that um like you having this poem over here and the other one's like dog and stuff speaking to like the honesty and art thing that we've talked so much about. Um, would you say like, and this is totally just coming from a place of not knowing, I'm just asking to learn more, but are those ones that you feel you were bearing more honesty in that art than like the other ones that you thought were going to hit universally to everybody? I think the ones, I don't know. It's not like a case of like more or less, Honestly, yeah. it's just when I say like everybody has felt this, it just seems to be like maybe like a more general feeling than a. So like in the first book, or in the only book, but I'm writing two more. But I had a series of poems where I was like, all right, I'm gonna write a poem about like depression. I'm gonna write a poem about anxiety, and I'm gonna write a poem about obsessive compulsive disorder. And those are fairly. I guess that's kind of like the line because they're really subjective experiences to me in whatever like fringe ways I've experienced them. Not like I've ever experienced them in the totality that other people have. But those are pretty general topics. Like if I just gave you guys, like sent a text and I was like, I want you guys all to write a poem about like depression. I think that's one that you would think a lot of people could relate to. Yeah. Not necessarily that it's more or less honest than something else I would write, but just the subject matter, I guess, is more open than 
me writing about one specific night with one specific person in one specific way that I felt in hopes that somebody else might have felt that way. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I was just curious. But yeah, that makes sense. I'm sorry, I don't mean this to like become like a questionnaire or anything. I definitely want to hear from you guys. No, it's I don't think it has. I just I just had that question from hearing you talking and just wanted to know more about your writing process and stuff. It's interesting because I think about like how I engage with music. And I gave that super specific answer of um like for instance, there's a song by Dustin Tebu. It's called The Breach. Um and it is all about something that I experienced last year. Um, like it is written specifically for that. Or um, Amos Lee wrote Hang On, um, which is about the death of, the, death of his grandmother. And it's very, one, it's very pointed and meant with a, it has a message. And those who relate to the message can relate to the message. But then I also think about... I listened to Boney Vare's latest album, 22 Million, which in my listening of that album and in my understanding of the music is so unbelievably abstract with messages hidden throughout that I find just as much meaning in those. And so, I don't know, it's just cool to me how I can engage with both of those medium, but the same medium, two different ways of approaching it and still get the same experience. Um, I just really like that. Uh, so I found, especially with music, um, I tend to be much more. I listen. I only listen to music where I feel like I see myself reflected, and it's one of those things where, I, as I get older, I try to be more conscious of that and be more open to listening to music I might not otherwise listen to, um, just to get that perspective of people. I I would say like. I'm not really a fan of most of like pop music and like country music because <laughs> I feel like I don't relate to those people at all. And so when I feel like I don't relate to it, oftentimes I find myself thinking as like, oh, well, they don't really have anything to say. And then I go back and listen to or I'll go back and read through lyrics and not listen to the song and kind of see like what they're trying to say throughout the song. And that's something that I try to be more aware of to not just kind of write off stuff because I don't immediately immediately connect with it. Because like people always have something they're trying to stay with their art, even if it's not intended, you know, for for me. Um, and so that's something that I try to as I as I've gotten older, I've tried to be more aware of that. If I can ask specifically, Blade, when you maybe it's not like as conscious of a thing of like. I see myself in this, or this is like somebody else's story, but I know you said you like uh, Ishiguro quite a bit and Never Let, Let Me Go. Like, I've read that book too, and I love that book. When you read that book, like, is it just that it's a, an amazing story or it's well told, or is there some degree that you see yourself in that? Or I don't know. I just, I guess I'm interested in like, for each of you guys, like when you take something in, like what is happening? Like you say it's good at the end of it. Yeah, so I would say um, specifically with Ishiguru's stuff, because most of his books deal with someone who is um, later in life, kind of looking back and um, 
maybe they're not realizing the mistakes they've made, but you as a reader are able to see some of the stuff that they should have maybe done differently. And now how they're um, older, they kind of regret that. And so that is certainly a feeling that I would say I can connect with, um, you know, kind of looking back and, and trying to say like, oh, I should have done things differently. And, you know, will that affect me moving forward? Am I going to look back when I'm, you know, old and, and still be questioning my decisions? Um, and then, too, because I, most of his books, the thing that I find so interesting is that towards the end, oftentimes the characters kind of realize the mistakes they've made and they just kind of accept it. Mm-hmm. And they don't, there's not really any sort of change. And it's just kind of like, oh, okay, I know that my life has been messed up, and, um, but there's nothing I can do about it now, and I just kind of you know, accept that. And it's like so bleak to me. <laughs> yeah. And it's like so s- contrasting with what I believe, um, where I do believe that there is always hope and redemption that can be found. And I feel like a lot of times in his writings, it's almost like he puts it in a way where there's like beauty to be found in just kind of accepting your fate and not wanting to believe that there's something more. Um, and I don't know, that's just like such a, a, a different way of, of how I view life. And I think that's why it's impacted me so much. Every time I read through one of his books, I'll get to the end and it's one of those where I close the book and then I just sit there for like half an hour and just thinking about it and just thinking of how it's, how, you know, dredging up all those emotions. Like, wow, that was, and I, I mean, it helps that he's like an incredible author as well in the way that he writes his stories. But so that's one where it's like I don't I don't know if I necessarily relate to those books, but I it's the message behind them is so powerful and it makes me really think about how I view life. Yeah. Seth, you asked about what um you know what goes on for each of you when you connect with a book, and or and I think that I'm finally able to conclude what it is about music or or books or whatever. Um, and it goes back to you know, what you were saying about writing something that's so directly personal to you, like with the poem, the dog, um, even if it's an experience that I have not had, whether it be one of my favorite book, extremely that incredibly close, um, or the poem you wrote, the dog with not having lost my father and, and seen him pass away, um, seeing a character or a person, um, engage in an emotion so intensely and feeling it so intensely either whether it's shared if it's shared for me then it allows me to connect with that if it's not shared for me and i just get to witness that character experiencing that emotion so intensely Mm. uh that will stir up something within me as well um yeah whether and almost vicariously living in that emotion and so that's what I would say that I appreciate the honesty in art when it does come from such a personal place like that book, like that poem you wrote, um, because it is an emotion that you chose to share so intimately. Uh, and though I have not experienced it, I got to experience you experiencing it, which is, for me, just as good. Mm. No, that's a perfect way to sum it up. I don't know. It, and it does, like, again, I was pretty hard on, like, honesty and art in that last podcast but i don't know the things that we've been talking about seems to suggest that whether or not you can find yourself in a story seems not irrelevant but it is just like two different ways of experiencing art as you can either experience it 
Yeah, I felt this. I know exactly what Noah Gunderson is singing about when he sings this. I felt this exact way, and he put words to it. Or, yeah, I don't know anything about this. This is way too heavy for me, and I've never encountered anything like it. But this person speaks clearly, and they're not being fraudulent about it. And I feel that. And like you said, you feel it almost like vicariously through them. And that can be just as powerful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's taken this episode or this recording for me to realize that. And so I'm grateful for this. Um, real quick. I remember um, when Blake read Never Let Me Go. Um, we were roommates at the time. And I remember Blade reading that book and then he asked me to read it. Is that right? Or he said, like, hey, man, you should read this book because it'd be cool to have someone to talk to about it. Yeah, basically, like uh, Thomas, uh, Professor Thomas is the one who was like, which, right. interestingly, because she was like, yeah, you're going to love this book. It's science fiction. I was like, okay, you and I have a much different understanding of what science fiction is. Uh, but yeah, it, yeah, I read that book, and I was like, man, I got to talk to somebody about this. Hey, Bowen, you should read this book. <laughs> um, I remember Blade said this later because I don't remember this, but he said he watched me finish the book because <laughs> I was just sitting at my desk in my chair. And if I had to sum that book up in a word, it would be hopeless. Like mm-hmm. you just feel very hopeless after you finish it. And Blade told me once, he's like, Yeah, I remember when you finished it because you just closed the book and then just leaned back and stared at the ceiling for like 10 minutes. <laughs> And it, that is like the reaction that that book warrants because it's and I understand why Blade wanted someone to read it so he could talk to someone about it because I mean it's super good but it was I don't honestly don't know how many like pieces of art whether it's music a book or movies that I've taken in that I would describe as like hopeless or like leave you feeling hopeless at the end but that is chief among them and it's It'll it'll definitely make you think, which is mm. which is good. Dude, he's got several other novels. You could always just pick one of those up and read it because it <laughs> make you feel the same way. Man, it's it's hard to go back to that. <laughs> it was it's pretty funny uh, reading those books because me and you went and met him in person, and he just <laughs> seems right. kind of like this really sweet, like quiet man. And it's like yeah. Like, buddy, you doing okay? <laughs> right? Hey, man, can you sign this book? You like wrecked me emotionally for like three weeks, so thanks. <laughs> Hope you're doing well. Um, a quick funny story. One time, I was on a date with a GF at the time, and we went to a bookstore, and the plan was to buy books for each other, and it was very weird and random. But that book, um. I mean, I wouldn't say it means a lot to me now, but definitely at the time, it was like one of the more important books that I'd read because I do think it is super good and it was very moving. So I picked that one out because I thought, here you go. Here's a little uh, peek into my sad, hopeless mind. Like, this will be good. Here's a, here's like, a fun initiation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to hate it. Um, here you go. Uh, so that was, that was pretty funny. Did she actually read I it? I have no clue. We broke up pretty soon after that so maybe, yeah. maybe maybe she did read it 
And that was why it's like, oh my gosh, this is what he likes. This is not going to work out, man. Was the book Never Let You Go? Never Let Me Go, yeah. Never Let Me Go? I was trying to get did indeed let me go. That was it. That was a stupid pun. (laughs) Here's a book called Never Let Me Go. Please never let me go. (laughs) So, uh... She did. So do you guys have any uh, things cool going on this week or uh, just in your lives in general? One cool thing that happened this weekend, um, just to shout out our, uh, I'm going to keep calling him the ninth member, but we had Baylor's uh, wedding shower this weekend at our house and it was just really cool to have a bunch of people over and friends to celebrate with. It was the first time us like hosting a party in our house like other than like for like a real event, I guess, other than Bethany did like an oils thing, but it was just really cool to like have a bunch of people celebrate him and uh, Laura and stuff. Um, so it was pretty cool. That's cool. I have a, a cool story. So uh, I'm a pretty big Hawks fan, even though they're pretty terrible this year. And I hadn't been able to make it to a game so far this season. And uh, last week, randomly, I had two different people call me up like the day of and just be like, hey, I got an extra ticket to the game tonight. You want to go? So I got to go to two games in like three days just randomly. So shout out to uh, my brother-in-law, my former co-worker. Shout out to Trey. Trey Young, rookie of the year. I have something that like happened and it went well. I wouldn't say it was a cool moment or anything, but we had a show on Sunday. Ben Leahy. Yeah. And it went very well. We got, I don't know, really good response from people. And have, I when I say it, it sounds more impressive, but we got like two more shows, possible shows because of that show. One nice. at a place play, played before, and the other is at a TGI Fridays. So we'll see how that actually goes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to be there for that one. To make that bearable, but let's take any show. Order some, order some half price apps, listen to some live music. <laughs> Just someone shouting you the whole time. I'll have some cheesy breadsticks and some leggy, please. Hey. Um, one more cool thing that, I don't know, it's kind of a interesting. <laughs> No, it's not interesting. It's just a different side note, I guess. Um, somebody that is rather close to me, this is kind of just a, I guess, PSA, um, started going to counseling recently. And uh, just clarify, it's not Bethany. We're not against counseling. That's kind of what this is about. But uh, it, they've just been having some really cool things happen through their counseling. Um, so just to kind of like throw it out there to anyone listening, um, that counseling can be really cool and beneficial and you can learn a lot of really cool things about yourself that change how you view yourself for a long time. Can I share a quick thing? Yeah, please. It's not like a thing. It's just an opinion. Um, one of my, so this ties back in, so bear with me. One of my favorite parts of Parks and Rec is when um, Chris Traeger kind of has a bit of a breakdown and then goes and sees a therapist and then kind of builds his life back. If that, I feel like that's kind of what happens. 
So I feel like people view therapy as like you're admitting that you're like mentally ill. <laughs> Dr. Richard Nygar. That's right. <laughs> and my therapist, Dr. Richard Nygar. <laughs> um, but I feel like when people entertain the thought of seeing a therapist they're like admitting that they had these huge mental problems and that's just gonna that's like who they're gonna be for the rest of their life and i don't feel like that's the case like i feel like you can you can maybe get to a a point in your life where you have like maybe one or two problems and you go see a therapist they help you work out those problems and you get to a point where you don't need a therapist anymore and you just kind of move on with your life at a higher level of living, if that makes sense. And I think that's important because I think that may be one of the reasons people are so hesitant to go see a therapist because they don't want to like admit, oh, I'm like a mental case. Like that's not, that's not why you see a therapist. You see a therapist because they can look at your situation with more insight and help you fix a couple of things in your life and then you move on. So anyways... I think even, I mean, just to continue that, uh, even in relationships, like I, I know there was a point where me and Bethany went to a marriage counselor and it wasn't like, a, it was an actual like licensed counselor, not like a church uh, counselor, not to necessarily crap on those, but um, it was just, it was really good for us just to go and like, just to have better communication and just to like work through things that weren't, um, necessarily huge things um i mean some of them were pretty big but some of them were like just normal everyday communication things that it just i mean it helps to make your marriage better you know why not try to pour into those things just kind of like you said like it doesn't mean you're like broken and uh, like unfixable it's just like you go and it helps and you leave at a better place than when you started you know yeah absolutely so, uh, does anybody have something new, something old? I'm going to go ahead and <laughs> throw out there, um, Gone Home. Anybody who likes video games? <laughs> it's a pretty cool one. Um, it's a <laughs> it's a different type of story, I would say, for sure. Um, but it, it's not a very long game, and I think it's worth sticking through to see if it speaks to you or not. I'll check it out, new. <laughs> I have a something old real quick. I listened to this song on the radio today, Boys of Summer by Don Henley. And I don't know why I've listened to that song a lot today for some reason. Don Henley has a really good voice. It's very easy to listen to over and over again, which I've done. Boys of Summer, check it out. It's not the right time of the year for it because it's like an end of summer song, but whatever it's sad it's nostalgic highly recommend anybody got anything else that's it uh (laughs) i've got something old today i went for a drive and i decided to uh turn back the clocks and i started listening to a little uh modest yahoo 2006 (laughs) (laughs) the album youth and uh that album actually was like, I don't know, it was oddly pretty important to me. I, I guess a couple of songs on it, but that's all. It's just, 
I don't know. There's something about revisiting it now. It just feels like really special. And I think like Modest, I actually had the thought today while I was driving. I was like, if Modest Yahoo like opened up like a, like a weird, like I'll take 10 people and they can just follow me for a year. I would just like do it. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like he's the type of guy who I would like put a year of my life into. Anyway, so youth 2006 Modest Yahoo. <laughs> so anybody got any more? If not, Bowen, can you uh, lay our office trivia on us? I will. This is uh, this week's is a little bit easier, so I'll let everybody besides Blade try and answer first. So season four, episode seven. Someone turn something on. Please buckle your seatbelts and prepare for takeoff. <laughs> Someone mowing inside their bedroom. I'm sorry, my the air conditioner's not outside. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, that was a really good joke. I just want to point out that, that that joke was very, very good. Thank you. That joke landed. Jokes <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> on jokes on jokes. Uh, Josh, are you back with us again? Yes. Um, all right, so season four, episode seven, Survivor Man is where... Um, Michael goes camping out in the woods. So before Michael gets out of the woods, he asks Jim to play the hypothetical game with him. To which Jim says, when Michael tries to play the hypothetical game, I always say yes. So Michael asks Jim if he wants to go camping with him. And uh, Jim says, absolutely. And Michael says, do you want to go tonight? He says, I can't go tonight. And he gives an excuse to why he can't go camping with Michael. What is the excuse that he gives? Also, for those who can't see the feed, Blade just started nodding immediately that he knew the answer. (laughs) Gosh, I really feel like I actually know this one. I don't know it. I'm so upset. I don't. All right, Blake, give us the answer, my friend. Oh, Mark, as I live and breathe. Mark's alive. (laughs) Uh, Mark is correct. Donating blood. I'm going back in bed. (laughs) Uh, Jim says, I can't go today because I'm donating blood. How often can you actually donate blood? Jim says, is there a limit? So, well done, Mark. I'll have to put, put a new name into my little Word document. Uh, real quick, in terms of office trivia, uh, office trivia scoring, it is Blade 5, Jake and myself 3 apiece, and Mark on the board now with 1. So, Blade with a commanding lead. Moving on up. I'm trying to get there. All right, uh, well, thank you all for uh, listening to uh, another episode of Chilling with the Room. Um, It has been a fun one. I really enjoyed our conversation for the day, as always. Um, And we will see you next week. Cut the feed. I thought our podcast name was Chilling in the Room. (laughs) I was about to say, say? did he say Chilling with the Room? Really? Oh, shoot. (laughs) (laughs) Chilling with Tommy in the Room. (laughs)
I thought it was a decent outro too. <laughs> uh, it's a perfect outro. It's gonna be hilarious. I'm all set. 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 I'm all set.